I'm crazy. I have Kirsten Cobabe here today. I met Kirsten through um, an I Know I'm Crazy friend. You guys know Chris, our social worker, um, addiction advocate specialist. He was like, Naja, there's this lady that you need to meet. She's so awesome. I was like, Chris, whatever, just send me her stuff. And so she has this platform called Raising Unicorns, right? And I love unicorns and I love being raised. And so I went to look at it. I, went, I had a peruse through all of her pages because you guys know that I'm very discriminatory on who I bring to your ears. I know you all trust me. And I looked this lady up thoroughly, up and down. And one of the main things we're going to talk about today is teenagers. Because her, play, her page is called Raising Unicorns, and my God, if these teens that we have to deal with are not unicorns, I don't know what is. So, hey, Kirsten. Hi, Naja. Thank you so much for having me. So, you are in Utah, correct? Yes, I'm in Utah. So, it's 10 o'clock for you. Okay, and I'm in sunny Miami, and it's noon here. Ooh, yes. beautiful. So I'm going to tell everybody about you real quick. And guys, I'm going to read a quick piece of her bio. But if you want a lot more information on her, all her links, to see her beautiful face, if you're not watching the vlog version of this, then just remember, go to blendedandblack.com slash podcast. You can find all of Kirsten's info. So Kirsten is a social worker who specializes in supporting families through the waves of adolescence. She combines the powerful of mindfulness with a modern approach from which to see teenagers in a whole new light. I think I may have misread something there. In a society that's evolving faster than we can keep up, and children too, we all need tools that will withstand the tests of time. Not only are things shifting, but young people are struggling. Rates of anxiety and depression have skyrocketed, which is an inspiration for bringing this approach digital to support people now. The Raising Unicorns method has changed hundreds of lives and soon to be thousands. Miss Nacha just threw that in and turned some of even the most challenging situations around. Kirsten offers a compassionate support to passionate parents who are ready for something new, something that really works. You can create a harmonious home and a relationship. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be present. Girl, if that is not a bio, OMG. <laughs> now, that, that was the bomb. Thanks. So, yeah. So, oh my God, I forgot to ask you. So, you know, you guys know, if you, if you listen to I Know I'm Crazy every other Tuesday, then, you know, we always, I always have the guests to come on and tell us why they're crazy. Kirsten, I totally forgot to give you a heads up, but it's kind of good since I'm putting you on the spot. So, <laughs> Kirsten, why, tell us why you're crazy, just like the rest of us. I am crazy like the rest of us because I love teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> you are nuts. <laughs> love them so much and love parents of teenagers. I think that we all have a teenager inside of us and that's what can sometimes get us stuck um, with the teenagers that we're either parenting or we're working with or we're supporting. So, Wow, that is awesome. So we had a little bit of a lag. Guys, we're doing this on um, internet uh, video thing right now. So you might hear a little lag and y'all know I'm mostly too lazy or too busy to go back and edit. So just figure it out. <laughs> We'll be okay. <laughs> no, so basically she said that she loves teenagers and you are crazy for that because teenagers yeah. are tough. Yeah, it's a whole new, it's a whole different world. And I mean, I, I just see it right now as 
you know, clearly something's not working because if it were working, it'd be working, right? Like, you know, and teenagers are struggling more than ever right now. And a lot of us are struggling more than ever. But the truth is that the leading cause of death right now for people, young people, ages 10 to 19 is suicide in America. My God. So like that's, if that's not telling us something, if we're missing all the signs in the everyday world, there's a statistic that really wraps it all up. So that's part of the inspiration for raising unicorns. I've worked as a social worker for a long time now. And I was, I was, I've been known as the teen whisperer for a while when I worked on the East coast, that was just what was going on. <laughs> Teenagers that did not want to go to, you know, therapy cause I was a licensed therapist then I'm not anymore. Um, I decided to take a different route and go into counseling yeah. coaching. There's just way more freedom and flexibility, but the teenagers would like skip down to my room and it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, doing anything that remarkable other than really just like celebrating who they are right now. I wasn't trying to push them in a different direction, change anything about them. And when we do that, we actually they see so much more. It's the same for all of us. Teenagers are just really, there's no filter there. They're very much not filtering like we've all learned to filter. So what we see is usually what we get, whether we like it or not. But yeah, no, if we're missing all that other stuff, that statistic is shocking and really was an inspiration for creating my online platform because there's only so many people, as you know, you know, that we can reach when we're doing one-on-one -on -one coaching or counseling every day. We don't, you know, we can't reach thousands of people. Yeah. So whether it's a podcast or, you know, my online course, these things really help to reach and touch more people. And if it can be accessible and affordable now, oh my gosh, for a parent, that <laughs> changes the whole, so, hopefully the whole world. <laughs> so the statistics, like you said, state that the leading cause of death from 10 to 19 year olds is suicide. So if you are listening to this, you know a teenager, there's one that you're co-parenting or step-parenting or um, just you just happen to be involved in one's life. It, it behooves you to listen to this message. So how did you, how are you getting through? Uh, okay, I'm asking, trying to ask five questions at once. How <laughs> in the heck are you getting these teens to skip to your office? <laughs> what are you saying to them? Yeah, um, you know, it was so different for each. I mean, there's a blanket approach that I kind of work with. However, within that blanket approach, which is just this presence and acceptance and and um, focus on the relationship, that's always what it's about, number one for me. And within that, the relationship will be really unique because some of the girls that I've worked with, um, mostly young, young girls, um, you know, needed nothing but silence. For some of them, it was the only time in their day that they didn't have to do something, say something, go somewhere. You know, it was their moment to have just like a breath. So for some, it was only a couple of girls were like that. And then the other ones, you know, one girl needed to dance, one girl needed to draw, one girl needed to just talk, talk, talk. One needed to show me all her poetry on her Tumble account. You know, every person is so different. Not that every, you know, session would be the same or, and it's not the same now with my FaceTime sessions. Every day is different, but really meeting them exactly where they're at, expecting nothing, nothing at all, and up opening so much space for this person to really just land right there and know that they're safe and know that they can be them and they don't have to be a different way or show up in a certain way. It's just where they are is totally perfect. Even if it's like awful and miserable, it's still perfect. And it's like, and it's how it's wow. showing up. Yeah. So that, that really just worked so well. And, and, um, there was relief in that and peace in that. And, um, no I realized it really, oh, I really needed to bring in the parents too. That's part of, you know, this switch, the switch for me. Um, 
you know, with this, with the raising unicorns approach, I always worked with the parents, of course, but I really realized I needed to call them in more because there's so much that can change when the parents on board with this approach. And it's not, it's not super tricky. I mean, it's weird at first to think about some of the, the tools that I talk about in my online course, but soon, soon they get adopted. And it's like, of course, like it just makes sense. You know, this is actually easier than the struggle and the fight and the battle. So, so a lot of battles that I see between teens and their caretakers is how do I get through to them? What do I say to get them to open up? Why are they always in their phone? So when and immediately or initially when a teen is coming to you, do you have like an icebreaker exercise? Or what's the first thing that you say to them when they come in? That's a great question. I think usually it's something, I mean, something along the lines of, I'm not here to change you. I'm here to just be with you. And if there's anything, and this is about you. So if, if this doesn't work for you, that's, that's important. And I want to make sure that we're a good fit. So it's really about like, they're in control. I'm not here to change them. Cause a lot of teens go into counseling sessions and someone's trying to make them like school or clean up their room or talk nicer to their parents. And not that those things aren't great and valuable, but that's never going to happen if we don't have that relationship and rapport. So it's always about like, Hey, this is, this is about you here. If you don't like something I'm doing, or if this isn't a good fit, like, let me know, we'll find you someone better. Um, because I don't want there to be any pressure for them to feel like this has to be a thing they like. I mean, none of us want that. I mean, that's just, I think we forget for teenagers because they're in between that like child and adult world. And, it's so tricky to know what day, what, you know, every day looks so different. Some days they're more mature, some days they're less mature because they are wavering in between. So I really like to say things like this and to presence this because it actually can bring them into a mature place where they can say like, I'm in charge. Oh, I'm in control. I can share what's up for me. And then again, the pressure is not, is not there for them to be any certain way. And the, the results I get from this are, are amazing and some of the you know the techniques that I work with with teens I really encourage you know parents to do as well and some of the stuff can start way before teen years too I mean oh better. <laughs> I love the approach so give them a sense of control you're like hey I want to listen to you I don't want to hear what you I don't want you to do anything because I think they hear that or we all hear that growing up so much from my parents okay so Kirsten what is the complaint that you hear from teenagers when they sit on your couch or when you're doing a FaceTime session or mm -hmm. whenever you're communicating with them? The biggest complaint I hear from teenagers is that they don't feel like their parents are hearing them, like this invalidation factor. So within, within um, the tools that I talk about in my online course and my work, it's, it's really about presence, validation, and then you get that connection and relationship. So, you know, for example, if a teenager is like, I hate school, I don't want to wake up, like this is miserable. And even if it's not to like, they're not being bullied and it's not super intense, even if it's kind of like a regular, um, I don't want to wake up or go to school, it's too early type of thing. Parents will often say things like, well, we got to, nobody likes going to school or, you know, something like this, like we're all in this yeah. together. And that's yeah. true. We're all in that together, right? We have to do stuff we don't want to do. But what the teenager hears is, yeah, too bad. And let's go. What they really need to hear and what they really respond well to is actually, and it's a very small and it's very subtle change is like, yeah, school sucks. That's literally it. Mind equals blown. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you just sit there in that, cause it can feel weird. Cause we, of course, like, we're like, oh my gosh, we need to fix it. We need to make sure they go to school. You're agreeing with them. Thumbs up. Right. 
But if we just go, yeah, school sucks, then, and we leave it there, it feels weird to leave it there, of course. Like, it's like, this isn't normal. This is a different way of doing things. But um, then they're like, then they actually either feel complete in it, heard and seen, or they share more about what they hate, which is okay. Like, that's what we want. We want them to share yes. more. Doesn't mean they're not gonna go to school. Doesn't mean they're never gonna move out, but like our mind will go way far in the future, right? So that's the sim- that's like one so of the simple examples. Validated their feelings and you've acknowledged their feelings. And you know, when people feel validated and acknowledged, there's no choice but for them to accept you in. I mean, they open up. They're like, oh, wow. Are you serious? Like, I, I don't know what I would have said if I heard one of my parents agree with that. I would have probably ran away because I'm like, you guys are losing it. Are you aliens? <laughs> exactly. This is, that's that old paradigm. And we all, most of us at least grew up with parents that didn't know how to do that or weren't around yes. to be able to do that or whatever. It's that old way of working. where like, I'm the parent, you're the child. I'm in charge. You have to listen. And now we're seeing like, that doesn't really work. And if it works, you're raising a really submissive person. And that's not, mm, what we don't want that. No, we don't want that, especially nowadays. We need people to have a voice. We need people to be who they are. And, you know, of course, some schools are better at fostering this than other schools. But, um, you know, as parents, as counselors, as helpers, as, as teachers, we can, we can empower that voice um, with that presence and validation and really focusing on that connection with, with that young person. But it's a whole new way of being. It's a new parent paradigm. And like I was saying before, you know, if it was working the old way, if the old way are working, it would be working, but we're seeing that it's not. So we have mm. to actually look at what we were given and that we're repeating these patterns. We didn't like them so much. We understand that we know why our parents, you know, were and are how they are. It doesn't mean they're bad or wrong. It's no fault, but you know, we're, we're all calling in this new way of being together and every generation has more of that collective consciousness. So every generation is different and this generation is known as really sensitive or really lazy and you know and yeah. it doesn't mean those things aren't true and that stuff's not happening but why is it happening what's the root what's what's actually happening right. and it's all about connection mm. so looking deeper into it and I, because i know physiologically there's a lot of things happening in the brain brain of a teenager than happened for them in early childhood and for those of us in adulthood and because I'm really smart and I have Google, I already know. But Kirsten, can you, Kirsten, can you explain to me and the audience what's happening in your teenager's brain? Like, why do they seem so out of it? Yeah, sure. Um, it's, you know, we're still learning about the brain and we're, we're still opening up all these doors and realizing that the brain is always growing and always changing. It doesn't like it. It doesn't ever stop. The teenage brain, similar to when, you know, kids are toddlers. I mean, it's different because they're or older, but there's a lot of new things happening. And they're actually in that teenage mind and age, they're awakening in this whole new way of like, they're thinking about death. They're looking at the world. They're looking at politics. They're looking at what their passions are. They're seeing things in this whole new way. That's a lot more mature. And, um, what I'm seeing with that, you know, that's happening in their brain and there's all kinds of, you know, new pathways being formed and, and, and lots of stuff like that. But what I'm seeing in this is, you know, they're the most creative, the most open, the most opinionated, the most passionate during this age, because in history, this age is when you go out in the forest and you hunt, or you go on a solo trip in the desert, or you, or you start working with your mom or dad, or, you know, you start being an adult in other cultures. And it's always been this way until about like 150 or even less, something oh, very, like that. Very recent. Yes, very recent. This is all new. This is, this is part of why I think we're seeing these 
challenges because a long time ago it was this coming of age. It was this like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm part of the adult world now and I'm treated like an adult and I have to be an adult. And, and we really called them into that. And now what's happening is they're stuck in school. They're learning about algebra. They can't use their phones all day. Like it's like this weird place that's back in time when the real world's happening really fast and, um, and they're not feeling connected to their teachers and they're, you know, they're bullying and there's all kinds of stuff happening in the place that they spend the majority of their life. That's really cutting into their curiosity, their creativity and their passion. And they're kind of being like held down. And I don't want to sound like I'm anti-school because I think there's amazing teachers and amazing schools, but you know, there is some of this happening for young people. And then we wonder why they come home and they just want to play video games and tune out because they're exhausted because they've been told to not care about what they care, you know, don't care about what you care about, care about this math problem or whatever. And um, yeah, this is usually, you know, before the modern times, this is when, when a child came through and said, hey, I care about this, I'm passionate about this. We'd say, great, let's go for it. You know, let's do that. And so we're not seeing as much of that because Parents are busy, school takes up most of the day, and of course there's a bunch of there's devices, and that's that quick fix for connection, like reaching for the phone. So, so wait, how can you foster that? Like, let's just say your kid is not a teenager yet, but you don't yeah. want them to, you, you want to kind of help them to skip over that step, if possible, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. feeling disconnected. So what can you start into implementing in your own home, own home for your preteen so that they can, can have the freedom? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think that one of the most important things we can do is really model what it is we want to see. And again, this is kind of, I, I, I have this online course that's in, that's, um, in my Raising Unicorns kind of curriculum where you, you go there and you kind of put in your email and it'll take you straight to this course. And the course really dives into a lot of this stuff because it's so important. The house, the home is the other place the child spends the most time, right? And these are the core relationships. So if we can model how to live a life we love, even if it doesn't mean all our dreams are currently happening right now, but how can we, how can we connect about the stuff that's hard? How can we work towards our dreams together? How can we show these young people that, you know, we're also doing this too, because we can't expect our young people to have great relationships, know what they want to do in life, understand finances. If we don't know how to do that stuff. I mean, sometimes that happens, but if we're not doing that, then First of all, that's a lot of ammunition and fuel for them to be like, you're a hypocrite. Here's my middle finger, you know, like <laughs> if you're not how, you know, how can you tell me to do these things? So it's really important for us to like, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect either. That's like not what it's about. It's totally about just being aware and present of what's currently going on and offering that validation when those things come up. So it's all about that relationship though. Every piece of the course really ties back into how to keep that relationship strong with your teen. It's with presence, it's, it's with validation, it's with that type of communication where they're really seen and really heard. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of this stuff feels so backwards. One of the tips I give is like, try apologizing to your teen for mm -hmm. when you freaked out, you know, when you screamed. And that is like something that never happens. Like teenagers don't usually get a apologies, you know? So especially all, from adults or their parental <laughs> figures. Totally. Cause we know, like, of course it's frustrating to raise a teenager. We know that they're in the quote wrong about stuff, certain things, but we also can be too, you know, as adults. So it's not about saying like, Oh, you're in charge completely. And I'll be submissive. It's more about, I can own when I, you know, lost it and that wasn't okay. And I wanted to say, I'm sorry. And usually what happens is a teenager's like ears will perk up. You've got their attention. They feel validated, seen and heard. 
and bam, you're like in this opening, this clearing has happened just with that one little thing because it, it really rarely happens. Um, and so then you can really continue to build that relationship and foster that connection through these waves and changing times. And every day is going to be different. You don't take it personally. They, there's tons of mood swings. Sleep is essential for teens. And, um, you know, so really, really focusing on that relationship. How can we as adults, parents, counselors, continue to just meet them where they are and, and foster that real true relationship so that all that other junk, whether it's parties, smoking pot, um, whatever the stuff is, you can actually talk about it without it being like, uh, we have to talk about something. You've already been right. talking about something, if that makes sense. <laughs> so you mentioned essentials. Like one of the things that teens need is sleep. And we all kind of know like they're growing at a very rapid pace. What are the, some of the other things that parents should know that, look, your kid is not off their rocker. This is completely normal for, for where they are in development. So besides sleep, what are some other things that they need? That they need? Yeah, I mean really, I think they need to be heard more than anything. And that's, and I just want to clarify too, that sometimes doesn't mean words, you know, it sometimes is their mood. It's sometimes their silence. It's sometimes their fears and anxieties. It's not always words and it doesn't have to be. We can absolutely validate and be present with someone when they're not talking. It, it, like that young girl that I, that I said, you know, she needed to come in and have silence. And I, and there were parts of me that were like, am I doing something wrong? I'm yeah, a bad therapist, you know, awkward. like, <laughs> we right? feel like we should be feeling the space, but totally. And I had to be like, step back and be like, Oh, and when she shared with me kind of, cause I asked her and after, you know, we, cre we just really focused on that relationship. She told me what she needed. We did it. And she was able to share like, Oh, I'm just quiet. Cause I, I need this space. Like I literally don't get this ever. And I'm so grateful to you for offering me the space. It was like the biggest gift I could give when I'm you know, in the beginning, I was thinking I'm doing something wrong here, you know? And yeah. so we really got to have that relationship to be able to check in about that stuff. So that validation can look like anything. I mean, and obviously physical movement is huge for all of us. We definitely need this too. Um, this stuff can be really tricky to like tell a person they need. We're all the same way. If someone's like, you shouldn't eat sugar. We're like, I know, <laughs> you yeah. know, but on our own time and in our own way and in our own, um, you know, space, we can, we can really, you know, do the things that we need. But again, it's mostly modeling, you know, eating healthy ourselves, moving our bodies ourselves, um, managing the work and social life balance ourselves, you know, um, all of that stuff, managing our devices, you know, um, in a healthy balanced way, like that is the best way to, you know, support our children and what they need. Cause a lot of the stuff they need, we need to, there's, yeah. you know, in that, in that age. <laughs> So before we get on devices and social media, OMG, I, I want to talk about influences of teens because I remember myself be, not being a teenager um, not too long ago. <laughs> y'all know, y'all know I'm lying. <laughs> I remember watching some of my friends that we started out in grade school, elementary school, middle school together. And then when we got to <clears throat> those critical teen years, mm -hmm. them veering off and meeting a group of people and automatically who they were or who I thought they were, they completely changed. They got around bad influences. You know, they were starting to smoke and starting to have sex and cussing and skipping classes, like all the, all the things that are not favorable. Right. What in the heck do you do if your kid is starting to veer towards that um, less desirable crowd? Mm, such a good question. And this, this can happen because as we know, like that age is all about forming an identity, forging your own way, your own. That's why teenagers pull away. Right. And they're like, I hate you, mom and dad. It's not because they hate you. I mean, maybe they do in tiny moments, you know, oh, okay, let me just, let me say something. I, yeah. 
my mom is sitting right over there. Um, I, mom, did I ever say I hated you as a teenager? What would you have done to me if I said that? <laughs> I can't repeat what she said. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Kirsten. You're good. You're good. Yeah. Um, let's see. What was I saying? Um, we were talking about bad influences. Right, right, right. So this, this identity, thank you. This is identity forging, you know, developmental stage. This is normal. Like, and some teens are little, they're more subtle about it. And other teens are more drastic about it. They're just trying on new things like clothes and food. They're trying on new friends, trying on new experiences. So, you know, it is, you know, quote normal for some of that stuff to happen. However, you know, it can, there's a spectrum there. There's this like curiosity part. And then there's like, you know, full on diving into that world and it's, and that can be really scary or it can become a daily thing or, and not to say even the curiosity part can't be scary, but anyway, that whole thing kind of, this can happen with any teen. It is part of what they're exploring in this age, you know, this, this age, it's all about identity. So one of the things I think is really important to remember is that, um, you know, the more we kind of punish or say these things are wrong, the more resistance we get. And that's true for all of us. We're seeing it in the, I mean, I've worked in prisons. We see this in prisons too. Like the more we shame and blame someone for say, we'll just use like an example. They snuck out and went to a party or something like this. So instead of when they come home screaming at them, grounding them, telling them they're wrong, it was the worst choice of their life. We could actually just be, first of all, grateful that they're home. Like, oh, mm. celebrate that. And actually stay there. Stay there in that place with them where you can be like, you can talk about it. And since you've already been working on the relationship with the presence and the validation, I mean, at least with the, the way that I encourage parents to, to work with it is then you can sit there and be like, how was the party? And how, you know, you can actually ask these things and it's not because you're saying it's okay, but you want them to share and you want them to be able to know that they can talk about that Aren't stuff. Aren't they going to be very defensive though, because they know they're wrong. If you come in past curfew or sneak out and go to a party <laughs> and your mom says, so how was the party? I would be afraid, like very afraid. Yeah, right? But how are well, you getting them to open up in that moment? It's a whole new way of being. And I'm thinking of it as if someone's already tried, you know, already working in that validation, that presence piece. And you're not saying like, oh, cool. You went to party, no problem. You're just wanting them to know that because the purpose of this all is if they find themselves in a really crappy situation at a party, like a really bad one, you want them to be able to feel like they can call or that they don't have to get a ride home with whoever's there because that means they're going to be getting in a car with someone drunk. We want them to be able to call us, call on us, share with us without thinking, oh, I'm going to be in deep shit or something. You know, that yeah. we don't need to be police so much that it scares them. But within this, you can really create that the expectations together, like, Hey, if you sneak out, here's, here's what's going to happen. Or like, what do you think the consequence should be if you sneak out? And you sort of develop oh, this. Together. I like that. You can do that in your uh, romantic relationships too. Like, so what yeah. is going to happen if you cheat on me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and you do this hopefully before they sneak out or whatever, but this is kind of something I, this is in my, my course too. I really encourage parents to have a sit down with their teen or teens and be like, okay, let's look at the house rules or whatever. What are the expectations? What are the things we can all do to chip in? What, and then the teen or the child can decide, I really like, you know, I don't know what they would like. You know, most teens don't like cleaning anything, but there could be something you can tie it into a value of theirs. Like maybe they really love their clothes and they want to make sure their clothes are like, they always have all their clothes clean. Right. Uh, how can they be part of that? So you really, instead of saying like, Hey, you've got to do your clothes or else you're grounded. It's really like, okay, what are the things you can do for this house? We're all going to pitch in. We're all going to help you tell me what you want to do. And then there's at least a shimmer of control there for them. So within that, you can talk about like, 
curfews, sneaking out, what would the consequences be? Because this, you know, these are things that that might happen. Not that you want to plant those seeds, but yeah. we sometimes think that by talking about sneaking out, having sex, doing drugs, and suicide, we're gonna like encourage them to do these things. But that's not how it works. That's mm. not that's not how it works. They just have more information about what may come up for their friends and how to deal with it if and when it happens to to them and then they get to be part of that which calls them into that mature place it rises them up to this beautiful mature like young adult space and they feel immediately like important respected trustworthy and they'll be less likely to do these things so it's really feels super backwards and weird but it has a much it's much more effective than any of the shame and blame and stuff like that. But we all grew up with that. You know, we're like processing this stuff. A lot of us did at least, and we're moving it through and it's the only pattern we are given. And it's yep. also in our society. It's like law prison. And it's not to say there shouldn't be consequences, but how can we pull them in to understanding them, knowing them, even creating them so that they just feel part of that conversation. I'm going to have to take this course. Oh my God. What's, what's your course call? Um, the course is called how to support your teen with anxiety and depression. And how does, it, how does the course work? Like, is it like a five day thing? The course is really, I want to make this so easy for parents. Cause honestly, like the part of it was because who has time? Yes. Any, first of all, but yes. so it's like, okay, at your fingertips, it's, it's like, it's $47 a night. And I also add in all this other stuff. I have meditation. I have books. I have a cheat sheet. So there's all this extra stuff that goes in the course, but basically you, you sign in and um there's 18 lessons and they all have a practical like you know action step is it you is it videos or is it reading or it's writing and video so there's a blurb there's a quote there's an actionable step and then there's a video of me expanding a little bit on it wow so that's like it lessons of those so yeah and you're so pretty to look at so you know those of you that are watching this she's a very pleasant looking lady i just i have such beautiful friends i'm so blessed i'm so happy so to talk about kind of the downer but such a necessary thing is freaking social media um yep. almost every teen i know is like this you know they're, they're their phone is glued to their faces and i'm just like what in there is so compelling during wh- while i was growing up as a millennial or i'm on the tail end of being a millenni- millennial <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have that stuff and so no. i think i had a cell phone maybe my senior year or freshman year of college. I think that's maybe when I got one. But mm-hmm. now I'm seeing eight-year-olds be connect, have a device that connects them to pure strangers, to debauchery, mm-hmm. to all yeah. the negative sides of society, like things that we don't want them to see. So what is the connection with, and there has to be one, with teen anxiety, depression, and their, uh, the availability of social media to them? Such important topics. And there absolutely is a connection and a correlation, although mm. it's not exactly what we think, or at least okay. this is perspective from well, my Break it down for us, Kirsten. Break okay. it down, girl. So here's what's happening. Um, it ties into actually a lot of, I don't know if you've read Lost Connections by Johan Hari, but it's a great book for anyone out there listening. You can listen to it. He has a bunch of podcasts too. Um, it's all about what humans are experiencing right now, at least in this society and, and some other societies. Um, but in the U.S., we're feeling a lack of connection. We're feeling disconnected, either whether it's to ourselves or our bodies, to nature, to a higher power, to our family, to our friends. We're feeling disconnected. And not completely, but it's definitely there. And it's I human- agree. Yeah. Why, why are we feeling disconnected? <laughs> well, is that's it technology? Or is it's, it- it's not because of technology. I think, well, I mean, not that it's 
I'm sure parts of it are, be, are because of it, but it's really, it's more about like, we're reaching for the devices because we already feel disconnected, right? We're not, we're not in a classroom of six people. We're not working with our dad in the farm, you know, in the barn. We're not doing the, we're not like with people, you know, even our, you know, a lot of kids aren't even with their parents. Everyone's so busy and this is not a fault thing. This is just an actual, like, let's look at our oh, culture. Wow. So what's happening is we're seeing all of us and especially teenagers, um, but really all of us, I've seen some teens manage their devices better than some adults, but we're reaching for this device because it's that quick fix to connection. It's oh literally going to McDonald's for food. It's the same thing. We're like, so we need it's to like a pacifier for a baby or a blankie or a binky for, <gasps> yes. It's like, let me satisfy and say, you know, like, let me satisfy this need of human connection. Cause it is a need and we all need this. It is critical for our well-being. Actually, some studies show that like so many things affect our, our mental health, our emotional health and all this stuff, but our relationships affect it more than anything. Deepak, Cho Deepak Chopra talks about this a lot in one of his podcasts. That is the number one thing is like our lifestyle and our relationships. And so that's the number one indicator of our like well-being. So that's again, why I advocate for this relationship piece. It, it, it makes sense scientifically. It makes sense biologically. It makes sense intuitively and so we're seeing yeah we're seeing this reach because there's this need that's not being filled and and if teens aren't getting it at home or with their parents or you know with a really great best friend or mentor they're gonna like reach for it somewhere because we need it i mean so yeah healthy versions of it and less healthy versions there's a study that johan hari talks about in that book and it's all about this rat that's put in a cage by himself and he's given the option i think it's like cocaine or something and he goes to this this drug over and over again but when this rat is put in a cage with all its friends and like whatever in water and everything it needs it rarely rarely like i think it tries it and never goes back to this <laughs> substance because it's fulfilled it's like i've got my needs met like that's not funny but i just thought about being in new york city and yeah, rats and cocaine so new york god so new york totally <laughs> totally and we're so similar you know you think about um if someone's in pain, the last thing we need to do is put them, like isolate them further, disconnect them further. So that's why we right. see when we take away children's, you know, teenagers' phones when they're like as a punishment. First of all, I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but what happens is they're like, wait a minute, you're telling me an adult, but you're taking away my phone. That's confusing. And they're also literally that's their, that's their connection right now to the world because of all these issues we're having with real connection. So that's like taking away their last little like how they stay connected when they are already struggling with connection anyway. So, so you know what, let, this, let's go, let's explore that a little bit then. Yeah. Um, so if we're taking a teen's phone as punishment. I understand what you're saying about we're limiting their connection. And a lot of parents, I think they're doing it because they are upset. The teen had one of the teen's actions has upset them. They feel crossed, yeah. disrespected. They want to put a boundary on the kid and they might be fearful of, like a lot of teens will call a friend and be like, come get me, come pick me up or come bring me this. And so you yeah. want to kind of control that. So what is, what are some appropriate punishments then? Uh, appropriate punishments, you know, and we're going to get back on social media guys. And we're going to talk you know, about depression here in a second, but you know, these are yeah. such good questions right now. So what yeah, are some no, appropriate punishments? It's really, it's really important because yeah. What do you do when things are just like going just down the tubes and you have to like, control something. I mean, first of all, we need to recognize our desire to control our children. Um, mm. and this, yeah, this, this who likes being controlled? No one. There's a difference between control and helping to keep someone safe and guiding someone, right? 
Control is a totally different thing. We're, we're actually harming their ability to have experiences, to make decisions, to create create their own boundaries, use their own judgment. And yes, for sure, there are judgment issues with teens. That's part of it all. That goes back to that, you know, back in the day, they used to go on missions and get, you know, that whole thing. And it was actually because it was the time to really learn about judgment calls, decisions, you know, yeah. using that, that risk, um, taking desire teens have and and channeling it and focusing it. So teens don't have anywhere to do that now. So they go to parties. That's how they risk take. They used to hunt buffalo, you know, and it's not that we want them to be hunting buffalo now. It doesn't make sense <laughs> in America at least, but at least most parts of America. But um, how do, how can we channel that risk taking? How can we rise that maturity up? So even some of the things I talked about before, like involving them in the conversation about um, creating these consequences, talking about these things that might happen and come up and where are they at with it and, um, and preparing them because for even the most, you know, um, balanced, healthy, just not interested in that stuff kind of kid, this stuff will still enter their realm yeah. and, and we want them so sheltered that they're like, ah, and they just don't even have a thought or a personal opinion about it all. So really we want to foster that, um, identity forming part of them and, and channel the risk taking part of them and keep that relationship strong so that you can just talk about this stuff. And as far or maybe as maybe you can nip it in the bud before a punishment yeah. is even before it even gets to that place, because yeah. you have equipped them with the tools to think for themselves and to make good decisions. Right. Honey, I know a lot of adults that need to take this course for themselves, not their kids. This course is for everybody. Okay. <laughs> It's for everybody. I'm going to gift it to a few people I know. <laughs> it's so good because, because again, it's, it's like, we think it's about one thing, but it's like, oh man, it's just about relationship. It's just about connection. It's just about my own stuff. Oh my gosh. Because the fear is when our kid goes to a party, of course, that, you know, they're going to get drugged or, or, or they're going to drink or they're going to get sick or they're going to drive drunk or, you know, and of course these are normal fears and natural fears and we don't want those things to happen so that we can't control that though. But the best way we can control it is by all the things we've talked about up until now in this podcast. If that makes sense. That I mean, this is so awesome. Oh my God. I'm sure everybody who's like, listening to this is going to have like so many light bulbs going off. So <laughs> you mentioned a few seconds ago, like a teen that is balanced and what we consider to be open quote, good teen, quote, close quote. What do their parents or caretakers look like? What do these people exemplify? You know, I think they look like people who have their own stuff in check um, aware of, or at least are open to that. Cause a lot of the things that we get triggered by are really just because it happened to us. We don't want it to happen. We value something different than what our teen values. And those values are really like bumping up against each other. And these tension points, you know, if we can reframe them and I'm not saying this stuff is easy. I hope that that's like not what people are interpreting. Cause it's not easy. It's really more of like these tension points can be a place for us to grow and learn with our child. And if these tension points aren't bringing us closer together, we're literally missing like magic moments we could be having with young people. And it doesn't mean they're comfortable and super sweet and like, you know, whatever, but they, they can get to that place. And actually there can be like peace within that tension, if that makes sense, where you're like grounded into something deeper than yourself. You know, you're here to guide this person's but being next to them in their process, you're not hurrying them along, but you're realizing where they're at and you're going to be strong with them in that as well as vulnerable with your own stuff. So yeah. knowing where your triggers are, that you're fearful, you're, something's going to happen to your child and just sitting in that. It doesn't mean you can't feel that way, but sitting in that so that you can show up fully with your own stuff processing and that will 
you know, illuminate and show them that they can process, they can have these feelings too. They can be scared. They can sit in that. We have been taught to like run from discomfort, run away from challenge, run away from struggle, control to make things not happen, but bad stuff's going to happen. It's totally part of life, bad stuff. And, um, you know, the, the more we can model being able to do this ourselves, then our young people will be able to do this too. So when they're in a tricky spot, they'll have that foundation where they can be present in it rather than feel like it's overwhelming them because they practice this at home and they've seen their parents do it. Wow. 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 So emotionally well parents typically are tend to raise emotionally balanced kids and yeah. vice versa. And the other, okay. So let's get like getting back to the dark topic. We just went all around sure. the world. Um, <laughs> we did. So anxiety, depression, if you are dealing with a teenager um, that's in your space that is battling anxiety or, de- or depression, I know a lot of people that just don't feel like there's anything they can do. They take them to get, see a counselor. They ask them, are they okay? They give them things that they think they want. They sit beside them and try to talk to them and say, hey, are you okay? What's the number one thing you can do to have a breakthrough with your teen that's dealing with anxiety or depression? Yeah, it's, you know, it's anxiety and depression are, there's such a spectrum, right? There's like, anxiety. a lot of us are feeling anxiety constantly and, and it's actually a real thing in our society right now. And all the studies are showing that Americans are more stressed than ever before. And stress is the number one leading cause of all, all diseases. Basically, there's like a very small percentage that's, um, that's not related to stress. Yeah. Um, You know, we're all feeling this and, um, and that's why we're talking about it. And there's, you know, anxiety that's, that people can manage throughout the day. And then there's anxiety that's incredibly debilitating and same with depression. There's kind of this spectrum of it. And so, um, there's different approaches for all of it in my course. So let's not- just say, let's say this, um, the, de- the debilitating kind of anxiety and depression, then I know that then you're going to have to have, you're going to have to go see a psychiatrist and you're going right. to have to possibly deal with medication being sure. in some sort of facility. So for the people that are dealing with, um, I don't, how, how do I say lower level or yeah. just the everyday basic, yeah. this is what we all have. Um, yeah. but then there's a teenager that's dealing with it. So you are seeing them lay in bed a little extra, mm-hmm. um, or you're seeing them detach from their friends or you're, they tell you like, Oh my God, I'm depressed. What do you right. do to, to help this child cope or to see them through? Yeah, this is, um, I think one of the t- toughest things. And mm-hmm. because we, it's painful to watch other people in pain for all of us. It is, it just like, it breaks our heart. We want to fix it. This is how we, um, you know, something we learned along the way. And what we really want to do is actually um, allow them to be in that place. Again, it sounds really backwards. All the things I say, I usually just sound like upside down and backwards. And That's good though. Cause we need to change what we're doing. Cause clearly yeah. it's not working. Right. Exactly. And it's, it's allowing them to be in that space. And this can feel really uncomfortable because it's like, I don't want them to be in that space. So why yeah. would I, why would I, you know, and it's really actually being okay. Um, you know, within yourself to be okay for where they're at, you know, you're just able to meet them exactly where the, where they are. And that's true for anything. If anyone, anything, you know, meeting them exactly where they're at is the opening for everything else. And anxiety and depression are things that people feel. Um, Thinking about death is something humans do. I mean, these things are things we like to not think about or look at, but it's part of our world. And we're totally happy, obsessed in in America, you know, especially we can talk about on social media, but it's just like, 
vacations and I'm happy and my relationship's perfect. And, you know, just like, ah, um, and that's not how any of us are. And that's just not real life. A hundred percent of the time. It's exactly. And, and, you know, we're not taking pictures of ourselves crying necessarily because when we're crying, we don't think about taking pictures of ourselves. So there's, of course, the happy moments are going to be like, let me share this beauty with the world. You know, that's natural too. Um, but what ends up happening is we think that we're starting to think that that's normal or typical or to be expected. And, um, you know, meeting someone where they are in that anxiety and just letting them feel that because that's how it's going to move through the body and get integrated and processed. If we're running away from it, which we've all learned to do, then it gets stuck somewhere and then it's going to come up again until we actually sit in it and sitting in it is so uncomfortable and it's really uncomfortable for parents, but we've got to, and helpers, we've got to show up and be able to model how to do that for young people because they really need to learn that. And I think we're seeing that they're not learning that. And that's why some of this stuff is happening. And it's not their fault. It's not the parents' fault. None of this is a fault thing. But we have to be able to sit in discomfort to be able to let it move through our system and be fully processed and integrated into the daily life. And so that when it comes up again, we can recognize it and they can recognize it like, oh, okay, that's where I'm at. What do I need to do for this right now? I need to take the day off or I need to do some journaling or I need to exercise, whatever it is, or I just need to lay in bed and feel it. And everyone has a, you know, different tools and it's all about, you know, building that toolbox and doing it with our young people so that they they learn how to do it too. Cause they don't know how to do it. I mean, we all, we need to we learn to teach things. them. Right. We, we need to learn so that we can teach them. Absolutely. So moving over to the alarming statistics, um, about mm-hmm. the causes of the leading cause of death for young people. What, yep. what do we need? What are the signs when we could possibly be living with a teenager or know a teen that is on the brink of taking their own life? What do mm-hmm. we look for? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Death by suicide, yes, the leading cause is the leading cause of death for children in America ages 10 to 19. I mean, fifth grade, fourth grade for some people. I read Um, a story earlier this year, a fourth grader took a little girl, took her life because of bullying or something. The expectations of young people in this country, while simultaneously being like pushed down and controlled, is a nightmare. I mean, it's a mess. It is a mess. It's a mess. And, um, you know, that's also in my course, this expectation piece. Um, you know, there's literally a rat race happening and, um, our youngest people are getting thrown right into it. And, and there, it's not to say we shouldn't explore new things, try new things, you know, look at passions, but the structure and the, I mean, it's beyond structure at this point. So one of the things, um, we can do is, you know, it's tricky because for some people that are having suicidal ideations and thoughts or plans, they actually look really put together and they're totally crushing it and they're rocking oh it. Oh my God. So you can't even see. I mean, there's definitely warning signs and um, sometimes they look like that, like the, the perfect, perfect, you know, in quotes, um, person. And other times it's when they've, they all of a sudden have a new friend group. They never leave their room. They're constantly playing video games. They're doing drugs. They're crying a lot. They're super numb. I mean, there's, there's actually a lot of warning signs and it's tricky because some of them look like regular teenage experiences, but yeah. um, it, it, the more we have, so, so I don't want to step too far in a, in like a, here's how to know kind of place. Cause it's really hard to know, I think. And that's, what's, that's, what's really scary about it. And that's why we don't talk about it too. Cause we think we're going to like open a Pandora's box. So the more we talk about it, the more information we have. Also 
this is just another kind of, um, you know, point of why the relationship is so strong. If you've got that relationship with your teen and they're not scared of sharing with you that they want to kill themselves or they want to die, then, and they know you're not going to freak out if they tell you, then they're more likely to share that. Like I'm feeling so low. I think about this mm. and if they know they can share that without getting in trouble, without freaking out. That's more likely to happen. They're more likely to reach out and connect. And, and every, every lesson I have and every, everything I really advocate for is keeping that connection, that line of connection open, that relationship strong. It doesn't mean you have to spend 24 seven with your kid. That's not, that's not what I think is healthy, but it's like when they come to you, when, when there's, you know, you make the effort, you stay present, you validate. And if you're doing this all along the way, you're going to have a young person who's more likely to share that that's where they're at, or at least share with someone. Um, and so we want these young people to feel like they can talk about how they're feeling. And this is again, why we don't want to just say, we don't want to invalidate it because that might've been an opportunity to hear that they don't want to live anymore. And that's why we also want to, um, not just skip over something and try to fix it. Cause we might be skipping something that needs some healing and, or just you know, needs to come through. So it doesn't manifest into more. So these things are really, really preventative. I hope that mm. that made sense. <laughs> that, that made total sense. And I think um, this is a good place to pause and me say a couple of words now. Kirsten, first of all, thank you so much for being here. This was amazing. I've learned so much. If you are listening to this and you are a fan of I Know I'm Crazy, I want you to visit the website, please, because I'm posting all her links to her course, to her bio. If you are a member of VIP Stepmom, if you're one of the VIPs, then I want you to hang on because we have some exclusive content where I'm gonna be asking her stepmom-related questions. Yes, honey, we're going deep, all up in this. So if you're listening to I Know I'm Crazy, we are signing out. Miss Naja loves you so much. And check the bio, check the link. Love you, love you. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. Not your heart.